Welcome to episode nine of the UATX Plus podcast. I'm your host as always, Harry Weatherall, and today I've got a very special guest joining us from the home of UATX, Austin. Please welcome our guest, Ian. Ian, thanks so much for being on the show. It's absolutely a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, thanks for inviting me on. I'm excited to uh, hear myself talk. Yeah, I mean, no way I've... The best way I've had this podcast explained is not as an avenue for form and uh, riches and fame, but rather as a time capsule of your beliefs at an interesting juncture in your life that maybe you can listen back to in five or 10 years time and think, oh God, things are different there. Or maybe you might not. Maybe you're one of those people who's like locked in the groove and um, (laughs) you're now ontologically committed to this, uh, the life path that you're now on. Um, as I said, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, the question I always love to dive into when speaking to our guests is, uh, we'll start with that. Maybe you can tell me a little bit about your childhood and how it was typical of an American family and how it was atypical. Sure. Uh, typical. Hmm, I'll start with the atypical. So I grew up in New Hampshire, sure. which is, uh, by definition atypical because there's not that many people there. Um, and. I mean, I regularly meet people down here in Austin where I say I'm from New Hampshire and they, I'm the first person they've ever met from New Hampshire, which surprises me. It's, it's not like North Dakota or something where you've never met people from there, no, but like Guam. relatively uncommon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Relatively <laughs> uncommon, I guess, to meet uh, a New Hampshire native down here in Texas. Um, also probably atypical, I had five siblings. So I'm one of six kids. Um, that's larger than average these days and yeah we had a kind of a a rural i mean new hampshire is a rural state so grew up in a rural town i was joking with someone yesterday like if you wanted to get dinner in the town i grew up in you were gonna have to eat at your house or someone else's house because there weren't any restaurants there (laughs) so farming family no no farming so new hampshire is the granite state which means that it's, uh, it's quite literal. The, the ground is not great for farming. A lot of a lot of rocks. So there are some farms, but I would not say it was probably ever primarily agricultural. Plus you have six months of winter, so that makes things challenging as well. Um, I grew up playing hockey. This is now <laughs> also probably atypical. We had, uh, like I said, six of us, we all played hockey. So nice. it was it was kind of a, a rite of passage. You learned how to walk, and then you learned how to skate, and you played hockey. And I think it was for my parents' sanity that I mean we were all going to play sports. That was that wasn't really a choice, but at least we were all playing the same sport, so that it just kept some of the logistics easier. And I don't know if we had all picked separate sports. I just imagine managing six separate sports schedules would have been a, a, a disaster. Oh my God. I remember watching an SNL skit. It was when they were playing up, um, oh, what was her face? Elizabeth Warren. And she was like marching around. She's like, I've got the energy of a mum with four kids who all play different sports. And I was just like, that is such a great line because, like, you do meet those, like, mums and dads. And they are I'm like, dude, these people should be hired by the military. Like, this, they would have been in and out of Afghanistan in six months. This is just like the massive SUV. Everything's yep. like corded up. They're like, get up, kids, get in the car. And they just like jump out and away they go. Um, and that was, I'm like, kind of. that was you. 
So, so you, you were like the first kid was good at hockey, and then just followed through, or was it just always a hockey family? <laughs> it was the first kid played hockey by an invitation from a family friend. Kid went down okay. to a to an event at a local hockey arena, put skates on. The lore is that it, I don't remember it went really well, or they really loved it, and it was like okay, we found the sport, and then the yeah. rest was history. We. It wasn't like we were four years old and they're like, well, do you want to play hockey or do you want to try something else? It was like, no, yeah. you're playing hockey. Uh, so, so hockey, uh, yeah. yeah. Hockey that's is such that's a, the origin yeah. story. Yeah. That is, Say that again. Well, hockey is such an interesting sport. It's the one I know the least about. It's obviously, it's, mm. it's obviously the smallest sport in, out of the big four. Um, yep. and, it, and it has, well, it's, it's popular in Europe, I guess. But in Australia, the only time you ever got to see it was at the Olympics. Um, mm. But there was always this huge mystique about it. So most people just think of the, the highlights roles that always made it onto Australian TV were just like the brawls, which um, got people very excited about it. But I had a so I don't, so I had, so I had a lot of misinformation um, uh, about it. I, when I was living in New Zealand, I had a friend who played um, ice hockey in like the suburban amateur leagues and i'm like whoa dude you play ice hockey geez like how are you feeling on monday morning and he's like i'm feeling like fine you know i'm like how often the first question is always the same how often do you drop gloves and he's like never do like what am i gonna do and i'm like i don't know like doesn't it like change the momentum he's like no it changes the crowd and when you're playing in front of like uh, like one person who works there at the concession stand that they're not going that doesn't really have the same impact and he's like and also yep. no one's going to house anyone going to hit me i've got like the middle cage on i was like you got the middle cage you little bitch why don't you wear <laughs> the half visor and he's like yeah, the, the half, half dude only the pros wear the half shield and he's like that looks so cool he's like yeah do you know what else is cool having like a 20 million dollar a year contract and like pay for like dental care like yeah just having that little bar of like plastic over your eyes um plus something that he said which i thought was quite interesting was he was like it's so much more dangerous playing at the level that i play at than playing in the nhl i mean not because you're going to like get crushed um in the checks it's the stick and puck movement is so erratic at low level suburban um, hmm. New Zealand <laughs> ice hockey. Um, he's like, the main thing was like, the thing I, he's like, I always see is like people about to like slap the puck and at that moment of like contact, they slip and the first thing that happens is that that stick goes flying through the air at molar like height. He's like, well, this is yeah. the pros. Like they just keep their stick down the whole time and they just can do so much power in such a small amount of time and it's so much more predictable at the lower levels than higher levels. Um, because people can actually, people can process their plan. They can be like, I want to hit the ball over, I want to hit the puck over there. And they do versus I want to hit the puck over there. Oh shit, <laughs> it's not there. You know, it's gone in a completely different direction. Um, so I was disappointed um, in a sense that I didn't get to hear like hilarious stories of my friend, like, Beating the snot out of his uh, out of the out of the Auckland astronauts um, on a regular <laughs> basis, but I did appreciate the fact that I learned something about it, and that um, 
that it's not that there's a lot more to it than one would initially think just seeing it. So yeah, I, I've quite enjoyed it. Unfortunately, I haven't seen the avalanches yet over here, but um, hopefully I will soon. I mean, they won the Stanley Cup last year, actually, they over my them. favorite professional team, the Tampa Bay Lightning. So I, that was a disappointment to me. But on the, on the matter of fighting in hockey, you are correct. I get asked two questions very often. One is, did you play basketball? I'm pretty tall. And then the second yeah. one, after I say, no, I didn't play basketball, I played hockey, is how often did you fight? And to yeah. that, I will have to give the disappointing answer as well. Not very often. And probably the reason that I'm <laughs> no longer playing hockey is that I, I wasn't quite angry enough to uh, be that type of person that was going to want to instigate fights all the time. So it's, it's yeah. true that that attitude is a, is a benefit to your success in hockey. You kind of have, like, the best hockey players, I think, are kind of, kind of crazy. Kind of, they've got oh, yeah. something to prove. They've got, they're a little unhinged. They're, they're just, they're, I mean, they're not dumb, but they're just, they've got some sort of attitude that enables them to just act erratically and skillfully and not care about uh, messing up. Yeah, totally. I mean, there is, I mean, having played Australian rules football, and also a little bit of rugby back in Oz and the UK. Like, there are definitely, like, I'm a taller guy. Um, and so, and in physical sports, that helps. But what really helps is having, like, a disregard to your own life and just being in a, will, in a real joy and just being able to, like, put your shoulder through someone's chest. Um, yeah. But I think that everyone should play a contact sport at some point because there is a... We are stronger animals than we think we are um uh, the amount of times where you probably had like the uh cross eyes check and you feel every you know when you crack your um crack your knuckles but you feel it through like your entire spine and you're like oh my god and then like 10 seconds later you just bounce back and yeah, you're fine. Right. um yeah. yeah that said i mean this is something i always find it very interesting because my wife and i've recently moved to years and one thing I've often wondered, like if we, you know, I'm a bit older than you, if we like, if we have children here, would we allow our children to play American rules football? And I don't know enough information about it, but there's a, like, I don't have, like, I'm a tall guy, but like my wife and I have, it's unlikely our genetics will produce the next Tom Brady. Um, so like the chance of earning, like, I'm like, dude, this kid's going to make, is our ticket to the big time, you know, um, <laughs> I think is that unlikely, but I know that what's more likely is something like CTE. And I was just wondering if that was something that, uh, you wonder about having played a sport like hockey, which isn't as violent as American rules football, but definitely has an aspect of, um, has an aspect of it. It does have an aspect of it. And I've, I haven't considered the question personally. I, I know for certain that I had at least two or three concussions playing hockey, but I mean, that was over yeah. a span of 20, 20 odd years. Like it wasn't like every season I was like, oh man, this is like, yeah. I got a head, a head injury again. Yeah. Um, but I, like, I did have teammates that seems in some way susceptible to getting hit and having head injuries. And it, it wasn't always like the smallest person. It was just, it, it just seemed kind of random. Like maybe they just had yeah. a propensity to getting head injuries, but on a, 
general scale, I don't see hockey as being like I'm, if, like if I had kids and I, they were picking between football, as you would say, American rules football and hockey. Yeah. I would maybe ask some questions about football, but for hockey, I, I like given that I played it and I just like it's a contact sport, obviously, and you are on yeah. ice moving quickly yeah. and the boards <laughs> that trap you in there are not especially forgiving, Yeah, but it is significantly, I think there's less contact in it than football just because, I mean, the rule set, you can only hit someone that has the puck. Otherwise you it's a flagrant foul or penalty. Yeah. You're not, you're not going to hit someone away from the play. That's just not allowed at all. Uh, and the nature of being it's hard on to skates. Take your kids out of pass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I'm a, I'd like to say I'm a pretty generous person. So I think my kids would <laughs> probably inherit that. Yeah. And, and yeah. Based on my, uh, my skill level with the puck wasn't, wasn't my number one trait. So mm. yeah, I didn't have the puck much anyway. So if they inherit that, then they are totally safe. Um, uh, but uh, the last point on, on like the contact, it's it's hard to hit someone in hockey. Like you're, it's everyone's moving quickly. You're yeah. trying to center your weight, and if you're going to hit someone effectively, you're not just like pushing them with your arms, which was kind of my yeah. my go-to because I wasn't really that capable of getting myself in the perfect position to hit someone. Some people are very skilled at it, and they're unbelievable at, yeah. at hitting people on ice. But it's really hard. Like you saw maybe one or two big checks a game, but that yeah. I mean, those those are rarities. So like, there's a lot of contact, but it's like I wouldn't be as concerned head injury wise just because the, the nature of the game it's hard, it's hard to hit people on ice. Yeah, I think American rules football is so unique in that space outside of like the true combat sports um, in term because like of the protection you wear, um, and like if you're playing like Australian rules football or rugby. With, if you're if the only bit of protective equipment you're wearing is a mouth guard, like you just behave very differently. It's like riding a bike, or you know, if you're wearing a helmet or you're not wearing a helmet, on the margins you drive like differently. I mean, a better example is like you're driving on the flat versus you driving down a mountain. You're going to the higher the risk of your own personal impact as that increases. The willingness to do things like I'm just going to tackle this dude with my head. Uh, becomes like increasingly, um, increasingly lower. And uh, there's also the argument that my, my friend said it was like when you're sit, if you're playing in like the junior league in like Colorado, that's very different from playing in like the pros, where you've got real men who are not there because their parents want them to be. They're there because they want to win and they want to like earn millions. Um, and they're fully developed versus, you know, just like some scrawny 16-year-old. Just managing that impact's a whole different story. Cool. Um, So growing up in New Hampshire, I mean, I don't know much about the state. I'm not, it seems like speaking to you, I'm not the only one who comes across with that uh, assumption. I have this idea of it being like really leafy, really lovely, like a lot of like parents wearing like cardigans, patting their golden retriever with like three kids. Like, am I sort of seeing this correctly? Like what's, what should our listeners know about New Hampshire that they might not otherwise know or what I should know? <laughs> You've described like a come visit New Hampshire adver- advertisement on Instagram. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. like come, come look at the leaves in the fall 
And also you'll see some locals in their yards with their golden retrievers wearing cardigans, which yeah. I'm sure that there are some people in the state like that. Uh, I w it, so it's not fully inaccurate. I think it's full of people that are, as far as I know, the people that I know there and the people that I can recognize as being from New Hampshire are kind of like, they're not as friendly maybe as the Southerners. So there's no like, I wouldn't say yeah. there's any real New Hampshire charm. Um, there's friendly people in New Hampshire and we're all generally friendly, but I'd say we're, we're not going to like uh, invite you in for a tea like you might in the South. We're like honest, kind of hardworking people. We're supposed to hate Massachusetts. It's just, we call them all mass holes. It's just part of being a New Hampshire, right? Is that <laughs> you take issue with people from Massachusetts. You don't like people from Vermont very much either because people confuse the two states and that's just, no, they're, they're very different. New Hampshire is the live for your die state, which is a, nice. a very, a very different sentiment than you get, let's say in Vermont. Um, so yeah, I, it's hard to sum the whole state up in uh, in a paragraph, but generally like blue collar in quotes, I wouldn't say it. I don't know what blue collar means anymore, but just like honest kind of old fashioned, hardworking people um, with probably more traditional values on average. Interesting. Cause I get them all mixed up, you know, cause I, I, in my head, I'm thinking of like, is Connecticut the one where all like the ballers live in? Um, they like hedge funds. Yes, so like Greenwich, Connecticut, famous yeah, kind of hedge fund idea. center. There's, yeah, Connecticut's kind of a preppy New England stereotype, probably. Like an East, like an East Coast Aspen kind of vibe. Like, yeah, that's like not even close to New Hampshire. <laughs> God, I'm so sure. Man, non-Americans love to dunk on Americans be like, you guys suck at geography, which is entirely not true because I suck at it. Because there's so much to learn in America. There's so much here. But the most embarrassing experience I had was with, um, I went to Hawaii, and I did not realize how far away it was from the mainland. It's out there. It's like a four-hour flight. Been. Yeah. Dude, it's awesome. It's not like America at all. Um, but, in fact, it's very similar to New Zealand, um, I guess because of this, um, the Native Hawaiians and the Maori people come from the same um, not tribe. They're the same people. Um, so same <laughs> language route. It's changed a little bit, but, uh, you know, we had a lot of Maori influence at our workplace. So um, it was crazy how many words were similar. Uh, and it's just an incredible story to think you could sail from Indonesia to Hawaii and back and like have these trading routes that span the globe. Uh, I think that, and in New Zealand, um, you know, my, I lived there for two years. My wife's from there. It was so interesting to see, you know, the story of like, it was the last, it was the last country that was found by people. So the first humans came there in 963. Um, so over a bit over a thousand years ago, which is, and before, and because the th thing about New Zealand is it did not come from like Gondwana. It came out of the ocean, kind of like Hawaii. So there was no people that got like stuck on it as the um, world yeah. spread around. And so there's no mammals there. It's all birds. Actually, there is one mammal, the bat, but that's like kind of a you know just a flying, flying rat. Um, bird, yeah. But the craziest story about them is that the 
main foodstuff that the locals lived on was kumara, which is kind of like a sweet potato. Where do potatoes come from? Europe. They come from South, they come from South America. Um, they come from like Peru. So someone sailed there. Which is like, if you look on the map, it's like an enormous, enormous river. Um, and these guys do it in like a canoe. Like, you thought the guys who got into the submarine were brave? Like, this is like a whole other level. Like, I mean, these guys would have like died to get one of those um, Xbox controllers to get their, uh, uh, their canoe going from A to B. But um, very, very interesting. Um, so let's go through. So uh, I'm... I've brought this topic up a lot on these conversations because I just find it so, so interesting. And I think it's kind of tangentially related to UATX. Um, the college admissions system in the United States is unlike anywhere in the world. You know, America's an exceptional place. And this is one of those many, many exceptions. Um, I'd love you to tell me a sort of about what your like winnowing process of it was like, um, like your decision making and, you know, any advice for people who are thinking of going to college what was like? So just like yeah. the pre-college era where you're writing your essays yeah. about mine, discovered yourself mine, will, stuff. mine will definitely be atypical in this regard. So yeah. I, I was playing hockey and yep. it was entirely my intention that I was going to go to college to play hockey. So I cool. graduated high school and this is an, I don't know, this might sound strange to some people, but this was totally normal. Uh, in New Hampshire if you're playing hockey or basically if you're playing competitive hockey anywhere in America. I graduated right. high school and was intending on taking at least one year to play hockey and get older, stronger, whatever, better at hockey so that I could secure a Division One deal somewhere and play hockey there. Play in Europe or play in... No, played, so it's, there's junior hockey leagues in America and, and in Canada, but in America, yeah. this is like a typical route. You graduate high school, you join one of these junior leagues and then you play a whole season, like pretty much all year and college yeah. scouts come to the games and they watch the players. And I don't know what percentage of these players actually make it to college, but to college is in to play hockey at college, but some, yeah. I don't know, some high percentage, I'd guess eventually play a college yeah. hockey. And so that was my plan. I wasn't even thinking about like we had uh, meetings with our like, academic advisors in high school and they're like, all right, what are you thinking? Like, where do you want to apply? And I was like, I'm not applying anywhere. I'm playing hockey. Duh. <laughs> Which mm. in hindsight, it all worked out, but I'm sure they were looking at me like, okay, whatever. So those, that was my those people are fool those people are fools. Like I'm a big believer that there are certain things that you can do anytime in your life. Yeah. But there is only a very, very narrow and limited window that you can do you can play high grade competitive hockey. Um, that is absolutely true. You know, um, I, I, I encourage yes, anyone I had, to think, you know, to think about decisions that you know, I didn't have that perspective But this wasn't one of them. You made the right decision. I, I, I think so. I, I I enjoyed it. I didn't have any like adult perspective on it at the time. Of course, I was just like, "This is what I'm going to do." Like, there's no other option. I'm going to go play hockey, and that's also because everyone else in my family had done this. So again. I'm, I'm yeah. trying to uphold the legacy here. So I'm playing in the junior hockey league for, I end up doing it for two years. And okay. again, this is some of my sort of childish ignorance coming through. 
I'm like completely convinced that the only option for me is to play Division One, like really, really highly competitive hockey. Yeah. And of course, there's tons of good Division Three schools that are like really good academically that I could have had a very great time playing hockey, but like that just didn't even cross my mind. I was like, nope, not gonna like that would be a complete failure. I'm not gonna do that. Um, so ultimately, the story resolves. I don't really get any serious Division One offers to play hockey. I get some division three conversations and I just like, no, I don't, I just don't take them seriously for whatever reason. Um, And so by the end of my second year, I'm like, well, I need to go to college somewhere. And it seems like it's not going to be, it's not going to be hockey. So my sister, my younger sister actually was committed to Northeastern to play hockey, which is a school in Boston. And I had taken some college classes while I was playing hockey, which enabled me to apply to Northeastern as a transfer student, which in, I think makes it easier to get in something about transfer credits. Like there's a, a less restrictive process. Um, yeah. I'd like to think I didn't need it's that less restrictive box. process. Yeah. yeah it's, who knows? But who knows? Like, anyway, I end, up, yeah. Yeah, I, end up, I end up getting into Northeastern. My sister's going there and I'm like, great problem solved disappointed that I'm not going to be playing hockey, but I made it to school. Like, great. This is what I should be doing. I'll be yeah. in Boston with my sister. What a good time. So cool. that's, uh, that's sort of my story getting into school. I don't think it's that commonly repeated, but, uh, no. yeah. No, it's not. It's kind of very much a finding uh, it's a discovery, find your way process rather than the ones I hear from like some kids who are like, they're like, yeah, I'm going to go to Princeton. And they're like 13. But like, and, they're, and, they're, and they're not, and it's not just like, oh, go to the NBA. You know, it's like they're on it. They've got it planned out, you know, and they're already starting to like tick the boxes and just trying to like, you know, get into the big show, so to speak. Yeah. I had a teammate actually in juniors who was from Connecticut, whose dad cool. was in like high finance or something. And his, he was exactly yeah. that. He's like, I'm going to Princeton. It's like yeah. going to Princeton and then I'm going to work on Wall Street. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like I'm going to Princeton. And like, what, like next week to like visit? Like, <laughs> of course, like he went to the like the prep schools, which is like the private yeah. high school equivalents yeah. where you go and you wear a tie and they kind of groom you to be prepared to go to Princeton. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, he, he did that and good yeah. for him. But that was not anything like my way of thinking about how it was going to work so no it's, it's just it's all very different, different approaches well, well have you had a good time um, down at the tigers um so you go down to you go down to northeast i haven't been to boston i've heard it's a fabulous city um and i'm guessing you had a good time boston so i lived there for seven years went to school for four okay. and then stayed around for three years yep. um if it was the best city ever i'd probably still be there but it is yeah. it is a good city. Um, I like the the most useful thing I think to tell people about is if like you plan on living there, it's sort of like a college town that just grows and grows and grows. So what I mean by that is many of the people that live there, as far as I, my experience was, went to college there, stuck around after college. And kind of just maintained their college networks and just they moved to Southie, which is the uh, town in South, like close to South Boston. 
where the joke is it's pretty much a frat town but full of adults because I mean, that's that's just kind of the way it's evolved so the people compared to austin which is now where i live i'd say are generally less welcoming to uh to kind of building new friendships and uh the social atmosphere is probably more difficult to navigate in boston yeah. than it is in austin i think that's the most simple way that i can put it okay that makes sense i mean i've been very fortunate having moved to um denver like i i'm a big believer that no city has changed more in the last 20 years than denver with the only exception being austin like if you spared like if you came uh, when you were young like someone's like someone said i live in denver you know in the 90s people would ask you like do you work for the state government are you a farmer do you run a ski hire store? Like that was like the, that was like the three industries that you could work in. And now it's like, nah, dude, I'm a backend software architect or I'm a cloud-based AWS consultant or like it's or like some crypto, bro. you know, and in the same way in Austin, my understanding was like, if you lived in Austin like 30 years ago, like you're a farmer or you were like some like hippie or you work for state government. Like that was the only options you had. And now, are you Joe Rogan? Are you, you know, did you work for Tesla? Like it's just changed so much. And I think cause it's drawn so many people here, you know, there are so many people who are landing at like Denver international, Eastern airport. And they're like, damn, I'm the only person I know in this building. Like I need mm -hmm. to go and find some friends. And if you get enough people thinking the same thing, then all of a sudden it starts, um, ticking to get ticking along whereas in boston you're like oh you know like there's so many uh, what there's like seven or eight universities there mm -hmm. um you think oh, i'll just hang out with my mit friends and you know even if you do, and then you've got that wider circle already built in there's like a bunch of guys you remember so and so who's in the year above oh yeah, yeah so you know the guy yeah. who's good at linear algebra you know like the only one you know at, uh, at mit <laughs> Um, so yeah, four years at Boston, Mike, so very excited that you spent a bit of time rowing there. How did you end up, uh, with that misfortune? <laughs> misfortune, it, I, that's what I thought it was at the time. So I, again, getting yeah. back to this, what am I doing in college? How did I get there? I show up on campus, not playing hockey and yep. it, maybe I'm an emotionally immature 20 year old or whatever it is. I think many of us yeah. are. And I just don't know what to do with myself. I'm like, I, I've been playing sports my whole life. Like, that's how I get to know people. Yeah. Like, what am I doing? Totally. Um, yeah. And so I decide I'm just going to row because I can't play hockey. And I mean, yeah. what other sports are there? I'm pretty tall. I've, I've heard you can walk on yeah. rowing teams. That's a thing people yeah. do. So I email the coach. I'm like, hey, I'm here. Can I row? He says, sure. Like, come down. We'll meet you. And then... If you want to do it, you can do it. So I met with yeah. him and I very distinctly remember him saying, you have to do this all season. You can't just like do it for a few weeks and then like, say, see you later. But I, this is I really didn't get, I, yeah, I didn't get it. I was like, what, what, like, sure, of course I'm going to do it. Like, why would I not? Like, yeah. duh. Of course, three weeks later, I'm like, oh my God, what? <laughs> of, of course he told me that because this is miserable. Yeah. Um, yeah. so I, I ended up rowing, I gave him, I gave him the year and it, it, it's bittersweet because in fact, I was very good. Um, mm -hmm. I was, I'm 
I was probably top three or four in terms of ERG scores within the first six months of joining the team. This is a highly competitive team, but I was just absolutely killing myself to do it. Like we were doing two a days. There was like months in the middle of the winter where I just like couldn't walk properly. I was so sore every day and being still a little bit immature and not, not getting that, you know, maybe that's not so bad. Like you're going to make it. It just all felt overwhelming to me. I was like, I just can't do this. Like this is completely hellish. So I made it through till June, ended up rowing it in New Jersey at nationals. And just at the end of that, just thinking, oh man, I, another year of this, never mind three more years of this just sounds like completely undoable. Um, so I made a decision to not do it. And I ended up playing club hockey, which was, it's like the, the more casual hockey option at the university and kind of like, it was a good decision at the time, but in hindsight, I'm like, damn, like if I had stuck with rowing, like maybe I could have gone to the Olympics, like maybe I could have been really good, but there's no point in revisiting that. The the counterfactual will never be known. It's a, uh, it's a very, very demanding sport in terms of like the hours of it like i remember when i was like you'd hear people and they're like oh i just got back from football camp and be doing like two a day for like two weeks straight i'm like dude like it's been like five six years doing two like that's you know and obviously there's like a less intensity um and but there i mean it's not like zero intensity like it would be like especially once you get started getting more on the senior levels um it's just a volume game um and you know like a 70 minute ergo is tougher than a 70 minute run that's for sure oh yeah um, oh yeah and it's a like and it's so strange like it attracts so many smart people and it's like the most, it's like the least, it's like the most brain dead sport imaginable um but yeah it's such an interesting i mean i i think everyone has a love-hate relationship with it um but I think, like at least from my experience, the biggest thing I got, the thing I love the most about it, uh, you know, we used to joke about it in high school in particular, like, the worst thing about rowing is rowing. But it creates a culture where you spend so much time with these guys and, like, yeah. talk and literally, like, an ungodly amount of shit with each other. Like, just mm-hmm. absolute rot. Like endlessly, <laughs> like all of this back of this mini bus, you just be like, "Oh, dude, I reckon." <laughs> just like it's just like a twenty-four-seven incubator because you can't have like sophisticated conversations. There are only so many topics that you can like work with that. Plus, you're all bone tired because like five in the morning, um, <laughs> so you just like talk shit. Um, but but um, you know, there was definitely periods like when I finished up, I was like, "Oh, thank God!" Like it's over you know right? yeah. um but yeah. there's also feelings where you're always like it's a uh, it's a very it was a very special time in my life um and help me make help definitely help me focus because you always think that oh i'm spending so much time here if i didn't do this i would be able to do so much more but i found it had a real focusing effect and when i finished it'd be like oh i've got an extra like 25 hours a week Mm. did i really get an extra 25 hours a week in terms of like value add uh no so i actually still yeah i I actually have picked the sport back up again so i row here in austin still because i felt like there was probably a an unfinished uh 
story somewhere there just because I, I had this potential and just it always ate me that I just didn't do it. So I moved down here mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, not because of rowing, but I, I happened to notice they had rowing here when I moved down. Nice. Um, so basically I spent the last two years kind of redressing my past, <laughs> my past failures and, uh, on the earth, of course, and, and on the water. We'll see you, we'll see you in I Paris next year. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have a different, different perspective on it now. And the funniest thing above all is that my erg scores today are about as fast as they were in school. And I'm working yeah. maybe half as hard, which makes me wonder what exactly we were doing. <laughs> we were working twice as hard for the same, the same uh, physical benefits. How good, fair funny. Maybe it's the uh, maybe it's the, maybe it's all the brisket down there that's just helping you. Uh, seriously, that's helping you. I mean, it's a sport where like you probably peak in your early thirties, um, but very few people do it because like um, it takes you. People have got better things to do. Um, by the time they hit their early thirties, unless they're like truly like hooked into the national team at a um, at a club that really at a, in a country that supports them, which is like four countries really. Um, yeah, 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 brilliant. Um, so at Northeastern, do you learn to be a uh, computer programmer, or do you improve becoming a computer programmer? <laughs> I studied finance, and for the reason that. I didn't want to study marketing, but I wanted to study business and this seemed yeah. like a good option. And then Classic. in my yeah. last, yeah, yeah, in my last year, I'm sitting there thinking what, like, why did I pick this subject? Like it's, it's interesting yeah. enough, but it's not something I feel especially drawn to. And yeah. I sit there with my advisor and like, can I, at this late stage, do a major in computer science or like, is there anything I can do? She says, well, you can try to get a minor in computer science, but you might not make it because you only have two semesters left. Um, so I tried in my final two semesters to get a computer science minor, was almost there until the last semester I was in a course that just made absolutely no sense to me, given the compressed yeah. timeline of of the curriculum. And I just wasn't yeah. going to pass it. I had enough credits, but yeah. if I failed this one, something bad was going to happen. Like I might not graduate or whatever. So I had to yeah. drop it. So yeah. I ended up graduating, not with a minor, but with 90% of the effort the of minor expended. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe 80% of the knowledge. You, you miss some when you're trying to compress it all into two semesters. Totally. Yeah. And, uh, and so yeah, go ahead. Okay. Now, the, the thoughts are yours. You're, you're, so, you, if, and when you dive into it, I feel like every, everyone has, not everyone, most people have given this one a go. I'm going to learn how to code. This looks super easy. Um, and, well, they don't think it's super easy. They think it's going to be super luc- lucrative. And I think that I, like, I am not a computer engineer. I do know one language, R, which um, when I was working in banking, um, one of the great joys in life is that we have uh, so much more data than we did in the past. The downsides of it is that Excel, which is a fabulous tool, people who dunk on Excel have no clue what they're talking about. It is such a useful, useful piece of software. Mm-hmm. Um, and it goes so much deeper than 90% of people think. There's always like an answer embedded in there that you didn't know of that's out there. But where it does, the wheels do fall off is that once you get to like the million rows, 
it becomes janky as hell. Um, mm. So moving into, so R sort of like allows you to get around that and allows you to do some like cool stuff as well. Um, Excel's never figured out how to use, make a nice graph um, ever, which is interesting after all these years. Uh, but the thing about it, and I, was this your experience with a computer, is that you spend so much time being putting so much effort into getting so little out. That's the way it feels when you're first learning because yeah. nothing works and you get, no. so I, I learned, I learned some in school, didn't touch software engineering for like three years and then try had basically had to relearn it all again on like the web development side, so JavaScript, HTML, CSS, kind of like building web applications. Yeah. And that six months where you're relearning it, you get, I mean, nothing interesting happens basically. Like you, you no. write some small programs that like, hello log world. stuff. Yeah. yeah, you log hello world. You're like, okay, that's kind of interesting. It worked. And then you try to log like hello world exclamation point and some error happens. You're like, wait, what? <laughs> so you, it's maybe in some, in a way I'll stretch, stretch this metaphor, but it could be similar to rowing where like, you're only good at rowing once you've done hundreds of hours. Like you're yeah. only competitive when you're in erging. Like you're, and this is the rowing machine for people that don't know what an erg is. Like you have to put in so much uh, sort of labor to train your brain to think in programming terms so that when you do something, it actually does what you think it's going to do most of the time. And even so, I mean, half the time you're going to write something that's not going to work and then you have to go back and fix it. And yeah. so it's, it's an exercise in patience. And if you really learn it and you're not like, I, I don't want to stereotype, but you're not that typical programmer mentality where it's like, you know, they actually kind of love that uh, thinking about every possible edge case and like, they're just very analytical and like can hold yeah. all of like all of these steps in their mind at once. That's not exactly how I think. So at some point you realize, okay, I get why there's some people that are really, really good at this and why I'm probably yes. not going to be one of those people. But I think it was a, a worthy exercise anyway to go and learn because it, it's hard intellectually and it just gives you a different way of viewing the world. And I mean, selfishly, you tell someone that you know how to, how to be a, you tell someone you're a software engineer or that you can program and instantly your like status elevates in their book. They're like, oh, this guy, it's like, he's Whoa, got a brain. Are you a genius? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I had the exact same experience of the bag. I'm like, oh, I built this machine learning algorithm. Everyone's like, oh my fucking God, this dude must be like Elon, you know? And I'm like, I mean, this was before ChatGPT came out. So everyone, so I was like, oh, dude, I can do like AI ML with R. Like, running this algorithm, you press enter and it just like shakes. The fan goes like nuts on your laptop and it just pumps out an algo. You're like, dude, this is so underwhelmingly disappointing. Like, I was expecting iRobot, like something to talk to me or something. And I thought, dude, it's what do you expect? <laughs> this random forest. Is just going to just have like a slightly better like linear regression algorithm. I was like, oh, oh well, I'm not going to tell the boss that. I'm just going to tell. I'm just going to walk in with my um, 
you know, hacker gloves and um, tell, tell them something completely different. Uh, no, it's the cool thing is, though, that there is like what I found in my very few, uh, very few and very failure driven uh, experiments into the software world is that the worst thing about it is that it is not a linear, maybe it's the best thing, it's not a linear progress curve. There is so many times where you're all just like, man, this sucks. Like the code hates me. Like I must be like someone back at Python HQ must be like, have it out for me. And then it works. And you're like, oh my God, this is so good. And then as you said, like you go from hello world to hello world, explanation park. And then it's just back straight into that valley of despair. Um, but it, yeah, it's kind of like shooting hoops. Like you think like, dude, this is such a waste of time. And then you'll just like, get a switch and you're like, dude, uh, Steph Curry is my middle name, you know, and then airball, 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 get, keeps coming back for more. That's for sure. Um, brilliant. And now let me, and then you finish college, you, you're in the software game. I would love, you've done some really cool stuff. Uh, you work for Simply Safe, which I think is fantastic and quite ironic considering we're on a podcast. Um, I know that they are heavily invested in that medium of communication. Um, but I don't yes. want to hear more about your time doing uh, a co-founder at, as, at Local Goods. Yeah. Like, what's so, Local Goods doing? This, consider this a pitch. You know, uh, we, we're not for-profit here, but um, I'll, I'll make an exception on this one. So this was something that coincided with my move to Austin. So I was at Simply yeah. Safe, pandemic hit, bail went remote. I yeah. so at some point in there decided I need to leave Boston and move to Texas. And at some point I also decided I need to quit my job and try to start a company. And so I did both yeah. of those things at basically the same time, because you might as well just rip yeah. off both band-aids at once. And yeah. around that time, I became interested through my sister in the world of Shopify and Shopify apps. And I'd always sort of had an inkling that I might want to start a company that yep. merged with this interest in Shopify. I, to be clear at this time, I had no programming ability. This, this, that programming ability comes on later. So I actually can't okay. do any yeah. of this myself. So I recruit a friend of mine who was more technical recruit him. I called him on the phone one day. I was like, Hey, I've got this cool idea. Like, can you code me a Shopify app? Uh, yeah. I'm moving to Texas and it'd be cool if we had this app. <laughs> so that, yeah. that was how I recruited my co-founder and spent about the first six months in Texas, seriously pursuing that as a business. Uh, we created this app that let somebody send like a dollar or $2 tip to their fulfillment worker on like an e-commerce checkout experience. The analogy we like to make is it was like five years ago, you walked into a coffee shop and nobody ever thought to send the person a tip. Five years later, every coffee shop, they're like, oh, can we have $10 for your $2 coffee? And you're like, no, not, not really, but here's a dollar. <laughs> and so that was, that was kind of the logic behind it. We built it, we got a couple of customers and then I had kind of a horrifying moment of realization where I thought, 
this right now is a really cool project and would be fun to present in class, but this is not a business by any means. And the space between where it is now and yeah. where it might need to be to be a business is huge. Like would be yeah. a tremendous amount of effort to bridge that sure. gap. And I did not have the enthusiasm to bridge that gap. I, I don't want to sound too cynical, but like that problem wasn't the problem I felt like I was here to solve. It just, no. it was interesting to me at the time. And I was like, man, I could like tool around with this and maybe a business comes out of it, which was a very naive way of thinking like that a business just kind of happens. Like, no, you have to make it happen. And if you're yeah. not, <laughs> if you don't care about it, like it's not going to yeah. happen. That, that, that's kind of this business yeah, exactly. <laughs> if I could just do this business thing, then that'd be great. But that, that's not at all how it works. So ended up yeah. kind of moving away from that just because I lost my belief in it. Yeah. Which is, which is, which is uh, it's the approach that most people take. I used to run my own business. I'm doing something similar at the moment. You always hear these sets be like, within five years, 90% of business have closed down. Um, or fa- no, they say closed down. They failed. And you think it's just like some burning disaster where like the founder's just like <laughs> bankrupt, living on the street, being hounded by like debt collectors. Most of the time they're like, look, it works, but it's just such a grind. Like the, the, the opportunity doesn't exist. Um, like I used to run a grocery delivery company during COVID, um, like many people did, but, and that went very successfully, but only during COVID, we were selling umbrellas on a rainy day. Um, and then being able to, and then one, I mean, we've been able to sell the business now, but trust me, it's not going to pop up in your Bloomberg terminal. Um, <laughs> but we, we were able to get the, uh, the exit. Um, but if we hadn't, we'd have just closed it down and we'd have become one of those many, many statistics of like under five years, failed businesses. Um, no, and and then, you know, the and maybe if we kept going, something could have happened. Um, I mean, one of my favorite podcast series is How I Built This by Guy Ross, um, where he talks about, you know, he follows famous entrepreneurs. Dude, it's a tragedy. Like, I can barely listen sometimes because it's like years and years and years of these guys making like three bucks a month. Um, and then eventually it all starts to, uh, to click together and the, 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 the overnight successes, they take about 10 years to happen. So, um, so brilliant, but enjoying Austin at the moment. I'm sorry for that again. Are you enjoying Austin at the moment? I am enjoying Austin at the moment. Yeah. I'm here. I'm actually moving in the next month or so, but, uh, I still, I still like the city mostly for the people. Not for the weather yeah. or the geography, but yeah. it's it's still a good city. Terrific. Um, let's we've got we're almost at time, so let's jump into the uh, rapid fire question. Okay, ready when you are. Um, if you were if you were deported from the US and had to live somewhere else, where would you live? Uh, would you never come Canada. back. Canada, because it's close to America. Probably somewhere near Montreal because that's close to New Hampshire, and then I could be close to my family while being deported. Interesting. Just cheap, cheap, cheaper, uh, cheaper letters, slightly faster emails. Um, AI disaster or savior of humanity? 
uh, market. Dreesen's trying to convince me that it will save humanity. I'm I'm more optimistic than pessimistic. I have no special insight other than to hear both sides of the argument and decide that I'd rather live in a world where new things I am optimistic about. Man, Mark Andreessen also said unironically that we should just be typing I love AI constantly into the web so that when <laughs> when it becomes Skynet, it will remember us and save us. Like, yeah. Yeah, nice and school shooter visor. Like, dude, this can't be... This is the... Uh, this is the uh, what was the best book that you read last year? I know this is a thing you Ooh, that's a probably yeah. there's a series of three books I'd recommend uh, by an economist from Chicago called Deidre McCloskey called the uh, Bourgeois Trilogy about the causes of the Industrial Revolution. They are very, very good. The first one probably the best, but all three of them, if you really want to round out your knowledge of how the industrial revolution happened and how to, uh, let's see, not shoot ourselves in the foot and reverse all of the progress made there. Nice. Do you think you'll get a space in your lifetime? I don't think so, no. I think I'd be given the opportunity probably, but I don't think I would choose to. I mean, I'm so, I, def I definitely think we were, uh, we were, uh, we could do, I, I, I think we, I, I definitely came to think that I'm going to go to space in my lifetime. I don't, I don't think I'm going to go to Mars or the moon. I reckon it'll be a one day trip. It'll be like a safari kind of thing. Like all I want to do is float around, look at the blue marble, come back down. Um, I don't think it, it's definitely not at the, I mean, it, I think it's going to happen, but yeah, I can understand how a lot of people, I mean, let's just get to, let's just get to 2030 before we start, start thinking about getting into, um, getting into space. Uh, what's the worst bit of advice you've ever been given? This is sort of meta, but someone once said, don't ever give people advice. And I thought that was sort of interesting. Like I, I like to think you can give people advice and they can choose to accept it or reject it, but to not give any advice at all seems kind of like, I don't know, seems like a very modern sort of like, oh no, don't tell someone what to do. Everything's okay. Their decisions are all valid. But that might be. I don't know if that's the right answer, but that's what first came to my head. Who will win in the cage fight? Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk? I have to believe that Zuck will win just because according to what he posted on Memorial Day, he did a Murph, which is a, a workout I don't know if you're familiar yep. with. And he did it in like 37 minutes or something. And I mean, if that's true, that's, I mean, my fastest Murph is like a little less than an hour and I feel like I'm in pretty good shape. So if he did one like 20 minutes faster than me, he's in good shape and he will, he should easily win would be my, my opinion. It's going to cause uh, yeah. So no supporting the hometown boy. I have to choose what I think is right. I, don't get me wrong, totally. Elon, I will, I will support him in his uh, pursuit, <laughs> but I just don't think it's realistic that he will win. Um, yeah, I was talking to one of the guys the other day, and it's like Elon's no longer playing. He's no longer a capitalist. He's no longer playing. He's no longer orientated towards in, uh, profit generation. It's he's an interesting dude. Um, and my final question, it's the one I always ask everyone at the end, is 
You are, everyone at UATX is a high achieving person. Being a high achieving person requires you to do things that you often don't want to do. What are some of the things that you do to allow yourself to do the hard things? Get up at five and row in the mornings. <laughs> I, I don't enjoy it every time I wake up at five, but by 7.30 yeah. when I've done a good hard workout and I'm walking back, I feel yeah. good and I've done one hard thing that day. And I figure yeah. if I can just train myself to be, to want to do a hard thing every day, then that will be, yeah. uh, that will compound over time and lead to a, a better outcome for me. You hear to hear first listeners, the 5am club has at least one subscriber. Uh, <laughs> And uh, you too could be like, Ian. Ian, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. And thank you for coming. Thank you very much for having me. Too good.